We're slovenly, we're feelingy, we're really kind of dumb. We're Terry, Shar, and Lissa, all here to have some fun. So guard your holes, let's make some rolls, and talk some D&D with the cave trolls. Uh, so everyone's like, oh, really? And I'm like, no, not really. I was exaggerating. I said it took 100 years. Like, it didn't really take 100 years. Why would you think that? I'm like, well, because you said it. And I was like, oh, you're too literal for, to be my friend. We can't. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm a writer, okay? This is what I do. I exaggerate the facts. I can't I'm be friends dramatic. with you. <laughs> Jeez, that was a program. I play make-believe with my friends every Friday. We can't <laughs> We can't do this if you can't handle hyperbole. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the same people, too, that are like, well, I can never tell if you're being serious because you always sound sarcastic. And I'm like, well, that's fair. <laughs> far oh, too many people have, exactly, far too many people have told me that I sound sarcastic all the time for me to go, no, I, I don't sound sarcastic. Mm-hmm. Even that sounded sarcastic a little bit. Well, anyways, we can get this show rolling. Lissa isn't joining us today because she hates us and she's fighting crime on another planet. She's found new friends. They're called the Justice League. Good for her. They're probably better than us, honestly. Probably. They, they they look, they're like, we need someone with podcasting skills to do this as we <laughs> go and fight people on New Krypton. And they looked at the three of us. They're like, well, listen, you're all good, but you're both American. So they picked Lissa. It makes sense. It adds up. I yeah. wasn't offended. Well, I was disappointed for sure, but I wasn't offended. What would a Justice League podcast be about? If the Justice League ran a podcast, what would it be about? I think it would Just be one of time. those that I'm not interested in, but the, one of those like uh, well-acted like audio plays, basically. Um, mm. But it would be Booster Gold writing like some really ham-fisted dialogue, but then Mar- like the Martian Manhunter like delivering it really earnestly, and it come and like the combination is just really sickeningly sweet. And then they actually leave the Justice League to pursue <laughs> their writing and acting talents. Well, there's a comic book. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> Two of the Justice League start a podcast. Good sold. <laughs> oh god i wish that's how it worked usually what happens I is wish. It's, it's me like so like i i do these packets when it comes to um like the comic book stuff so first i gotta pitch an idea to an artist and usually what that happens is like a cold calling an artist or an artist that like i have an acquaintance of we trade emails mm-hmm. back and forth and i go hey okay are you interested in hearing some pitches they say sure and I go, hey, what are you into? And usually what they're into has nothing to do with anything I've ever written before. So I have to pretend like I have a pitch that matches their exact thing. <laughs> and I write up, you know, like a paragraph or two, a couple bullet points. Like you see, like on TV, it's like, oh, we have this pitch meeting. It's exactly that. And I pitch the artist and the artist goes, oh, that's perfect. Um, you know what? Send me the script and here's my page rate. Let's get working on this. Or we'll mm-hmm. split the rights 50-50. And I go, okay, give me a day because I made that up like 30 seconds ago. (laughs) I need time to actually put my money where my mouth is, a.k.a. bullshit everything that I just told you. (laughs) And then the rest of the process is like, so you go to a publisher and they're like, hey, listen, we love the script. We love the art because you got to make it. You got to make like five pages out of pocket. And then they'll go, okay, we love it. Give us more information on it. But Mm -hmm. the first time they go, don't give us any more information. Don't you send us anything that's more than the pages we requested. Don't you send us character descriptions. We don't want a summary. We don't want shit. Send us the pages. Mm -hmm. We like them. Then we'll talk. And then they'll, then they'll go, we want everything. <laughs> so so then you got to write like a thousand word document. So like, that doesn't yeah. sound like a lot, right? It's only like two pages. Um, but it's like, it has to be every twist and turn you can think of for your entire story. 
And only then do you then are, are you like given the permission to get on a phone call or a Zoom call to then pitch it again to like people that are higher up and better make it snappier. Like that, the joke I always say is I was in a pitch meeting once and they said, we we're looking for like a Keanu Reeves type story. And I was like, I don't know what that means. How about Matrix with swords? And you always got to give a reductive pitch like that. And it always goes 50-50 because in one pitch meeting, the dude goes, oh my God, that's the best thing I've ever heard. And in another meeting, same type of meeting, different company, the dude goes, that is the worst idea I have ever heard. I don't know why you think that it's okay to say things like that. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure they didn't actually say that and you're being dramatic, but the vibes would be that. He didn't say it was the worst he'd ever heard, but it was close to it. It was meaner than I was expecting. Like, I, I, I expect a no. Going in, I think everything's going to be a no. And the only reason why I sure. pitched The Matrix with Swords is because that idea was floated by one of the earlier editors in that process. It was like, hey, we're looking for this Keanu Reeves type thing. And I said it as a joke, and they said, that's perfect. That's what you should pitch. So I said, okay. All right. <laughs> and no, they said something closer to like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like very flat like no that's a bad one i was gonna say yeah that sounds more like constructive criticism to me which (laughs) can still come off so you said you might still sound like an asshole if you're giving constructive criticism if you don't word it correctly but i mean it's still it's something i like i love when they're blunt like that though too because i can shift quickly like i can go okay well listen somebody on your team said that was a good idea let me give you my ideas um so like you can you can spin it but i love when they're like no that like when they're like they say it in a nice way they're like no that's a bad idea <laughs> there's just something that's special idea, about that in a nice way ah <laughs> uh, so thank you for listening to our preamble this is the cave trolls podcast which isn't about pitching or comic books or the justice league or martian manhunter it is in fact about D things so Thank you and welcome to this. Uh, this is your news show, the only D&D news show. There's no other ones. If you find another one, it's a fake, it's a fraud, it's a sham. Send them a cease and desist. Say you listen to the Cave Trolls, okay? That's that's from me, your faithful host, Terry Smith, and my co-host today, one half of the Slovenly Trolls, the only half of the Slovenly Trolls yep. on this podcast this week. Charday, you would agree, right? Yeah, you're goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you're finally acknowledging my power on this podcast. <laughs> it only took us getting rid of, I mean, Lissa being busy to, um, She's finally. fighting crime on another planet, I'm telling you. Yeah, that's what we're telling people, huh? <laughs> yeah, turns out she's actually a supervillain. She's leading inner gang, and uh, they're they're uh, conquering half of the known universe. She's going to have to fight the Justice League soon, but not Booster Gold and Martian Manhunter because of their said podcast. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'm glad people are kept up on the mythos of our own DC continuity. (laughs) We're going to be the ones who get a cease and desist because this is a monetized podcast. (laughs) Uh, Leave us alone, Warner Bros. Discovery. Uh, Go cancel Batgirl again. Don't. Why would you say that? I'm still sad. I'm still sad. I but like you can watch Brendan Fraser in The Whale. And it's very, 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 very good from what I understand. So we have that. That's like, that's a drama. And like, listen, the world is so dramatic right now. Did you think Batgirl was going to be a comedy? Do you think she was going to come out making jokes? She might have been. Like, Batgirl is quite funny, I guess. There would at least be superheroes in it. You know, like, so when it's like, when it's like a dramatic superhero movie, I can usually palette it a little bit better. Mm -hmm, But when it's just mm -hmm. like a straight up 
drama and like set in the real world like i have a huge appreciation for them but god i can only watch them like once in a blue moon because i'm usually a hot mess and i don't want to like that's interesting you're not a not a drama watcher what about thrillers what about thrillers like if there's some sort of like whodunit type thing or maybe like a seedier underbelly it, it depends on the movie. I'm just a genre bitch. Mm-hmm, so, like, if mm-hmm. you add a little bit of, like, sci-fi or fantasy element, I will be way more inclined to watch it because it just makes bigger issues more palatable. And that's why I've always gravitated towards it. That's why I like creating stuff for it. Um, but what about Gone Girl? World. Gone Girl, Breaking Bad. What about that Breaking... kind of stuff? I haven't seen either of those. Wow. Okay. Okay. I'm learning yeah. a lot about you. I'm learning a lot. You knew, no, 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 no. You knew I didn't watch Breaking Bad. I've said this many times. I forget. I forget. When people Breaking say things Bad. so ridiculous to me, I just tune it out. But okay. also, but like, I didn't know it was all things. I thought maybe you just like, you didn't like Breaking Bad. But it's interesting that you're like, nah, if it's not genre, get the fuck out of here. Which is interesting. Not, not, not crazy, but. I mean, not all the time but most of the time like if you pitch me something then i more likely than not i just wanna i just want magic or i just want <laughs> spaceships because i just like it but i still watch stuff that's grounded in reality i love the crown the crown is one of my favorite shows and but that also. still has it's not the, it's not genre necessarily but there's still that extra twist it's a period piece right so yeah um there is a little plus you're kind of an angliophile right so there's a little bit of like oh british history that's a little it's like that extra layer for you um but that's interesting i didn't know i like me i'm just addicted to stories like if if it's good i'll watch it and good obviously is subjective so there's not many things that like genre wise that i won't try i'm not a big reality tv guy um I, I don't fuck with that I have very a couple, much i have a couple exceptions but is yeah. it love is blind because my tiktok is no. blowing up about love is blind i'm like i no, listen people so are having fun but i don't care i have currently i have two so one is the mole <laughs> the mole is awesome i haven't watched I this i watched the original the one back in the 2000s oh same oh same yeah i remember it was a big um bonding thing for me my brother and our parents oh, like, we okay would just, we would watch the mold like it was a family activity like when it first aired and my brother and i had such vis- visceral memories of it that when it went on you not youtube when it went on netflix the original mole like went on netflix we were just like oh my god is that the mole a show we haven't thought of in literally <laughs> 15 years we have to rewatch it and we did and then Netflix recently came out with a redo of The Mole, which is still pretty interesting. I have, like, certain opinions on it. It's not as good as the original. In my opinion, it doesn't have Anderson Cooper, which is a crime. Everything should but, have Anderson Cooper. Him and his creepy dolls. Yeah, but it's still really good. I still really enjoyed it. Um, but, I, and what was the other reality show? I have watched The D'Amelio Show. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, um, that's my guilty <laughs> that, that's fair um we should do an episode of right in the fields on uh on the mole i think that that would be really really good i would love to do that sign me the fuck up fam all right but enough entertainment news let's get into cave trolls D and ttrpgs news <laughs> so D&D podcast. this is a goddamn D podcast i've been telling people <laughs> they don't believe me um, but this is what happens when Lissa isn't here and we feel like we have to move on from the entertainment stuff that she doesn't give a shit about. Um, we just That's get sucked true. into it. Um, so, 
If you like this, head on over to patreon.com slash creations. You can get all of our bonus stuff, early stuff. You can head over to campykillcreations.com, find all of our other podcasts over there where we talk about entertainment stuff. But this is a D&D show, so you can check out our Slovenly Trolls D&D podcast. That's pretty good. They talk about D&D over there. But we also talk about it here. First up is our Bits and Bobs segment. This is where we talk about all the new games and supplements coming to a store near you. Uh, a D and D store, a hobby shop. What do we call them these days? Um, capitalism. Capitalism. Coming to a capitalism <laughs> near you, the brick and mortar. So first up, I have Ghoul Boys. This comes from. Uh, let's see if I can expand my. There, there we go. Chase Carter over at Dicebreaker. Ghoul Boys. Spooky season may have officially ended at the stroke of midnight on October 31st, but that doesn't mean we have to immediately pack away the thrills and chills. Doing so would mean missing out on Ghoul Boys, a new tabletop RPG that channels all the tension and eye-rolling of television shows such as Ghost Files and BuzzFeed Unresolved. Or Unsolved. Unresolved. <laughs> BuzzFeed Unsolved. <laughs> that's, just, that's just, oh my god, former BuzzFeed employees have to start a podcast. It's called Unresolved. Result. They Unresolved. they need to man. That's the other half of my t- TikTok. Ever since the try uh, try Same. guys, man. Yep. There's mm-hmm. like so much tea to be dropped. There. I'm like, that sounds like Buzzfeed fucking sucked. And I didn't know. I missed out on that part of the internet. Um, so like I wasn't aware. But yeah. <laughs> so created by designer Riley Daniels, Ghoul Boys puts exactly three players into the roles of amateur ghost hunters who have a few hundred dollars worth of internet purchased ghost hunting equipment, recently repopularized by the cooperative video game Phasmophobia totally great game and a location reputed to be extremely haunted like totally brimming with spectral stuff i promise the rpg's <laughs> biggest and most evident draw is the relationships between the three character roles the believer the skeptic and the producer assigned by a player personality that believer goes to whoever scares easiest for example each comes with their own sheet specific moves that guide the players in establishing and uh adversarial role with their fellows the believer is genuinely searching for evidence while a skeptic follows along cracking wise and attempting to deflate the atmosphere the producer though they're simply making compelling content so it doesn't really like sound like our type of game necessarily but i love the pitch on it um yeah same it's part of the no masters um uh powering popular independent titles such as possum creek's wander home which i had recently played uh they did it on one shot as well and sleep away which um if you don't know they're a little bit closer to like powered by the apocalypse where you have like specific moves you could try x move that does y thing um rather than roll a dice do the thing that's on your sheet it's more like here's your playbook these are the different abilities that you can try out doing i think they're really good for people who are newer to rpgs um where you like you have a little bit less of of what you want to do in mind and they help you fill roles and enact a character a lot better than the blank slates that i would say is like a D character um so i highly recommend to to theater people or it's like filling a role is definitely what you want to do and or brand new players to rpgs i think they're a really good place to start not quite my cup of tea but they're really cool and i don't know too much about ghoul boys but i would recommend wander home and sleep away as two of the best versions of those no masters uh games which also if you don't know they don't have gms they have guides which is still a player at the table but somebody who kind of like helps push the narrative forward that's an interesting just title for GMs in general, though. I think it's just a cool catch-all term. 
Definitely, and it definitely fits for some of those games where, like, the Game Master, it's still, in so many games, it's because you play the adversaries too, right? But so many yep. games set you up as that adversarial role, and some people aren't good at balancing that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. <laughs> and we'll it's get, hard. yeah, exactly. We'll have to do another GM podcast, but when people get like that, I always say, like, go listen to Brennan Lee Mulligan a little bit and learn to just yeah. hype up your players. Like, when they do something cool, make it seem like you're mad about it, but really in your heart, you're like, that was fucking awesome. I'm going to make them feel fucking awesome by pretending I feel really bad right now. Um, and it yeah. works. It works really well. Like, when they think that they got you, man, that move comes off even cooler. Um, one, one thing I will say as a teaser, if we ever do this episode, is I change. So, you know how, like, the Matt Mercer term is, like, how do you want to do this for when uh -huh. you want to kill mm -hmm. something? I change that in my game to how do you want to hurt me? <laughs> <laughs> and my players love it. They uh, ate that up. It was just, like, at the end of a really long combat, and I think I just said it because I was really tired. And, like, it was a really cool move that they used, I think, to kill the thing that they were fighting. And I'm just like, okay, how, how do you want to hurt me? And then everybody just burst out laughing. I'm like, well, I guess that's – I'm just using that from <laughs> now on instead of how do you want to do this. <laughs> that's a really good one. I always, like – I really hope that too many of our players, like, at my table specifically – don't get too into dimension 20 because one of the things that they do when they get one over on Brennan is they tell him to eat his dice. And uh... I, I, I don't like, you already all scare me. You're so crazy <laughs> at our table. Um, I just like, uh, one of our, one of our patrons, uh, helped me with the term murder Taurus. And that's 100% what you all are. Um, but you're also you entitled. You all. <laughs> Yeah, you definitely like you're the worst one, but you're the only one on the podcast. And I want them to want them to know that you're not the only one. There's three more of you at the table. <laughs> um, and like sometimes I'm like, you don't have consciences. <laughs> like, what, like, what is the problem here? Um, so I just I, I fear that you're going to make me eat some of my accoutrement around the table and I don't want to do okay. it. And you can't make me. I'm not. I'm not the one who wants to kill my in-game parents. Okay, listen. <laughs> I am tame. Everybody <laughs> wants to kill their parents. You know, uh, it's like, yeah. that's, just, that's what happens. Okay, we're all thinking <laughs> it. Uh, moving on, the next one on the list is Cyberpunk Edge Runners. This is the new mission kit for Cyberpunk Red. This is essentially an expansion and mission kit, quick start, game start expansion that adds stuff from the new uh, Studio Trigger anime based on Cyberpunk, Cyberpunk Edge Runners, which A, highly recommend Edge Runners, one of the best anime I have ever seen. Everything from Studio Trigger always looks awesome, but the story's really cool. My favorite thing about Cyberpunk, as you've heard me um, dish a little bit about the game, is I love the world. The world, the setting uh, Mike Pondsmith's writing is so cool and is such a vibrant and unique world and combining that with anime is really cool so bringing a cool mission kit like this is a really fun way to get back in the game I'm actually playing it next week um, I, I gotta figure out a hack for car count combat I still don't like Cyberpunk Red's car combat but <laughs> I am very excited to check out the new uh, mission pack that's available on their website I'll put a link in the description right now for you um, I didn't get a price for Ghoul Voice either. Did you happen to see a price for Ghoul Voice so I can recommend no, that? No, I have not. I think they just announced it. I don't think. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Price point or anything? Yep. Perfect. And then um, Edge Runners Mission Kit. Let's see if it is available yet. It doesn't look like it's available for purchase yet, so they're just announcing it. So who knows what that'll be? They're usually pretty affordable. Cyberpunk has never been one that I'm like, oh, this isn't worth the money. Like I picked up most of their books for thirty bucks, so. Um, I do recommend it on the value scale. 
Uh, next up is Two Hot One Shot. This one it seems very interesting. Are you familiar with Hot Ones, Char? I loved Hot Ones. Hot Ones is one of the best interview shows ever. Um, the what's the name of the host? Do you remember the name of the host of Hot Ones? I can picture his face. Oh, I can picture his face and his head and his weird blank expression. Like, I, the first time I saw it, I was like, "Oh, this dude's unique in such a weird way." And his delivery, Sean Evans. Sean Evans. His delivery felt kind of stilted. I was like, "Oh, maybe he's awkward." It's like, no, that's just what he does, and it puts people off edge in these mm-hmm. things and i'm like he does this on purpose because i've heard him in other interviews where he's being interviewed and he doesn't sound like that he just sounds like that when he's interviewing people i'm like this guy's yep. a subtle fucking genius is what he is he is a genius we love him <laughs> but anyways this is sean evans less um two hot one shot is an adventure that takes place dnd 5e takes various cues from hot ones a, a youtube series that invites various celebrities to chat about their current projects their careers and their lives whilst eating a collection of spicy chicken wings featuring famous guests such as comedy duo key and peel professional skateboarder tony hawk and actors such as james franco and brian cranston hot ones sees celebrities attempting to respond to questions from host and co-creator of the show sean evans now this comes from alex Meehan over at dicebreaker we know what hot ones is alex okay let's let's keep going um so this uh this adventure two hot one shot takes uh around three to four hours to complete and will challenge players to attempt to influence their characters actions and chances by eating more hot sauce raising the difficulty (laughs) and their temperature despite being designed for a tabletop rpg dungeons and dragons 5e two hot one shot can be adapted to be used with virtually any ttrpg that involves players having to roll dice in order to achieve success because you know obviously you're doing hot sauce like it doesn't really uh limit it to the 5e d20 rules the two hot one shot was co-created by matthew brown and Derek saunders co-host the role-playing game podcast how not to dm of the studio fireball forge with this being the publisher's first kickstarter campaign um so i think you can back it for the pdf for like four dollars so pretty cheap in comparison to some of the uh the kickstarters that we launch on here um i'm the one thing I'm curious of, I can't tell, do you actually purchase hot sauce to play in the game? I know game? that's what I'm wondering. Do you need to eat? Because that makes it even more intriguing. Yes. In game by eating sauce. spicier and spicier food in real life. That is exactly yes. what you do. That, that kind of sounds awesome. awesome. <laughs> that sounds so awesome. Mostly because I love, I will take any excuse to eat hot and spicy food. I love hot and spicy food. I don't know why. I really expected you to be just super white and Midwestern and not like spicy food. When we ordered Thai food the other day, I was like, oh, I'm going to order it mild, but let me check with Char in case, like, maybe that's too much. And you're like, I want the hottest that they have. And then you <laughs> ate the hottest that they have. And that was, it. that was the hottest that they had. At the no, time. no, it wasn't. It wasn't. I, I, I don't <laughs> think that they ended up giving us, because I don't think they believe, because they know I, I eat there. They and never I, do. Yeah. They never believe me when I say, hey, give me the hottest that you have. And they're just like, okay. And they see that I'm white. And they're like, oh, we'll give you like the third to the last hottest. I'm like, I'm serious. Give me the fucking hottest that you have. I love hot food. You got to understand, they get a lot of dudes like me going there. And I'm like, That's please, true. like, I, mild mild please and like i can handle I spicy even... stuff i just don't love it as much as other people sometimes people are like I'm... it's gotta be the spiciest and i'm like why though it doesn't taste it's gotta better. be spicy it has to be spicy with flavor though i don't yeah. just go in and I'm like i just want my mouth to be numb like it does have to have really good flavor to it and i don't even really know where i picked it up i just ate a lot of buffalo wild wings and ordered like mango habanero all the time mm-hmm. for some reason i think probably to impress people and then i just <laughs> 
and then you get attached to it. That, that was I, the same thing with me. It's kind of like beer, right? Like beer never yeah. tasted good until you've had a lot of beer that you're like, oh, now I like beer. It still doesn't taste yeah. good, but you come accustomed to it, I think. Yeah. And then after that, I spent a lot of time in England and they have really, really good Indian food. Yeah, they and do. Really like authentic Indian food. So that just cemented my love of hot food. And I still like spicy stuff, but I don't need it to be so hot that you can't taste it like some people. So I just like I, I opt for mild because I'll get the most flavor. I have come, become more accustomed to putting spicier things. I put sriracha on most things now just because mm. I think I've burned out some of my taste buds now. So I can't taste things if they're not too spicy but i can't even eat chicken anymore with a hot boss just full stop yeah it's hard when you have kids though like you can't put spicy shit on anything until you slow you gotta like yeah. slow so, like slowly and subtly like slip it into their food and now my yeah. kids are starting to like spice your stuff and i if i say something spicy, they go oh no i can't handle it not realizing that mm-hmm. i've been slowly tricking them into eating spicier <laughs> foods you've been slowly conditioning them <laughs> <laughs> uh like one of the things i do then this is just on green on uh gaslighting your children is i tell them i put special salt on it and if i put special salt on it they'll eat it and it's usually just like seasoning it does doesn't it but it's usually just seasonings like it's usually not even salt uh (laughs) it's like garlic or or pepper you know like any number of things i have many different seasonings like i like parsley and paprika on Mm. most things very good aromatics and i'll put that on there and my kids are like oh this is delicious (laughs) i'm like they're like thank you for the special song like you're welcome uh, finally, on the bits and bobs section, we have Outcast Silver Raiders. Did you read this one, Char? This one is up I your alley am, of the creepy. I'm parsing through it as we speak, so go on and give your pitch. It's an OSR title at its core, streamlined. At, uh, what's this? What's that word say? Agile. I need to put my glasses Agile. back on. I'm getting so old. Um, <laughs> Outcast Silver Raiders is a new tabletop RPG with a uh, bloody demonic bent and an eye towards introducing new groups to old school roleplay. It also intentionally leans uh, into the trumped up version of games peddled during the moral panic of the late 20th century. Um, that's a fascinating pitch. This comes from Chase Carter over at Dicebreaker as well. I'm already loving the idea of it. I don't play a lot of the OSR stuff. I, I've done no, um, the DCC games, like the Dungeon Crawl games that are based on 3 point five they're really quick and easy like one page um rpgs in the D mm-hmm. system so those have been kind of bringing me back around to like the osr stuff um this one's currently crowdfunding on kickstarter outcast silver raiders is the creation of the designer isaac van dyne with illustrations by kim diaz home and calligraphy and maps from lex rocket it's an osr title at its core like i said before streamlined agile rpg that focuses more on player skill and dangerous situation than high fantasy storytelling so the exact opposite of why we play most games uh van dyne <laughs> says the three book core set has been written to introduce a new audience to a different style of tabletop play while still offering compelling experiences for genre veterans um i like that idea i like that idea of like not just trying to peddle osr stuff to people who are like oh i miss how games used to be um which yeah. is where you get into some problematic stuff so it's like no hey like let's play this old school style um for people who maybe haven't given that a shot before rather than just going you don't like how woke D is play my game <laughs> that's how a lo- i get a lot of email they pitches like they do like <laughs> that's how i read them at least when i get the emails uh, and i'm like no no thank you new tsr whoever whatever it's usually not new tsr but it's some company that's exactly like new tsr um perhaps the most compelling piece of outcast silver raiders pitch at least 
on first blush is its world building. Gritty, low fantasy settings aren't exactly novel in this hobby, but Van Dyne's team took inspiration from the insults, exaggerations, and misnomers wielded by politicians and ostensibly concerned parents during the Satanic Panic. During the 70s and 80s, several U.S. political groups pushed the narrative that Dungeons & Dragons and its ilk were directly teaching young children how to summon evil spirits, perform grisly mm. rituals, and indulge in decidedly unchristian behavior. May I recommend Mazes and Monsters with star Tom Hanks? Mm. If you oh want to get God, a feel no. for what they thought <laughs> D&D was. Um, this was never true, obviously, and mostly served as an attempt uh, attention ploy by moral absolutists on the right. But Van Dyne saw it as an opportunity to create an RPG that did include highly detailed ritual derived from Goetian Wiccan and Hermetic magical traditions, according to the campaign page. Magic in the Mythic North, where outcast Silver Raiders takes place, is a rare and feared along with those who harness its power. Thus, the 20 demonic ritual players can learn and cast require massive amounts of preparation, effort, skill, and it's likely to earn them a notorious reputation among the small folks. So really, it's like, hey, what if it wasn't lies? It's kind of like uh, the Freddy Krueger of it all. Like, oh, they were all lies. This was just like a sad man. But then it turns out it was true, and he really was an evil monster. Um, yeah. That's the idea that d20s for attacks d10s for saving throws and d6s for skills and ability checks a lot of people recognize similar systems for other osr titles so not super novel there but very simple and easy to get into i like the idea of the game it's very novel however i worry it could get close to offensive um getting that close to hey this is what they actually made fun of us for what if it was real yeah. that's usually like taking it back is dangerous right like i feel like so yeah, many people go always. into those types of things with like well that's what they really think of us i'm like well the, the, you're proving them right sometimes um but depending on how how they actually portray it i do worry that it's going to be a little offensive to um some wiccan ideals that try to actively go hey that's not what you know practicing uh wiccans do that's not what we are um you know so i i do worry about that but i'm gonna look into it and uh do a little bit more research and see uh what people think uh the author here of this piece uh chase carter uh compares it to merc borg or merc berry i believe it actually is supposed to be pronounced um i found that out recently <laughs> right um <laughs> But one of the creators said, just say Merkborg, it's fine. Uh, but <laughs> I'll try to be as appropriate as possible. So if they're comparing those two, uh, Merkborg is an awesome game. Uh, I highly recommend. So if it has those vibes mixed with a satanic panic, I could see that being interesting. Um, Char, what does that do for you? I, th I'm, I think I have the same excitement and also concern. Like mm -hmm. anytime Anytime OSR is ever used in like, marketing <laughs> material, I'm just like, listen, <laughs> that comes with baggage. Yeah, what do you mean and by I, that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm all about like, oh, you think that we're awful people? I'll show you like awful. That is treading a very dangerous line. But I like, I like the moxie <laughs> behind it. Like, I like the premise behind it. But... It's got to be executed well. Like that can't be a middling it ground. Does. Like you, you can't like can't go like half into it, and you got to subvert it in a way that's intelligent. And yes, I think that just means like you just yeah. it, it comes with more baggage. Like you said, it's got to be a uh, got to be a better game. It can't be middling. Otherwise, we're gonna go well. This wasn't worth it, and it's exactly. Offensive. And publishing a game in like this century, in the twenty first century, mm -hmm. 
that even when you do hearken back to old systems or old uh, stereotypes of the satanic panic, I don't know if you know this, we're basically in a completely different world and climate than we were in the 1980s now. Um, people have access to the internet. People are more informed. Um, there are many ways that you can educate yourself on how not to be offensive. So as long as you're you know, checking all the boxes and making sure that you're not being um, a dick to actual groups of people, then I think you should be totally fine. The vibes look really cool in this. I love me some dark fantasy. The art is beautiful. Um, but so as long as they're following the right steps, like sounds great to me, but I always go in with trepidation, kind of like you when people hearken back to certain things. Right. 100%. Vibes. You know what I, I want to do with this game? And I, I'm going to risk like giving it away to you because you play at my table. But, uh, mm -hmm. I, what I want to do is I want to set up a game where it seems like very light, lighthearted, but easy, um the osr type where it's like not a lot of character building this is going to be a dungeon crawl type game um and then the twist is that we're playing in outcast silver raiders and it gets super dark real quick the the fake ritual in quotations that. that you think you're doing is a real ritual and you're being sacrificed and that's where the game starts i really like i mean i, I love that it's like subversion of expectations and i always i like to do that at my own tables and i'm trying to like aim to do that more as a gm mm -hmm. so i i always appreciate it when it's done other places well we're gonna get into that in, in our in one of our next segments because uh how do we start a new campaign is, is the whole topic here mm -hmm. um i figured we could go a little bit longer there wasn't a, a crap ton of news and we don't have that lissa bogging us down with her being a player um, yeah, better off without her, I say. <laughs> I love you, Lisa. Oh man, <laughs> she's not gonna listen to this. Will you apologize to? She's not. Listening. No, you you say that, but whenever I'm not on the podcast, I listen so that I know you guys aren't talking shit. Your neuroses so. is different than Lisa's neuroses, <laughs> and number two, we were talking shit. Like you don't have to even I, listen. To, I'll just tell you, we were talking I, I so just, much. <laughs> I just want to know what kind of shit. <laughs> and it was even and worse because we had a different guest to replace you last week. Oh, you probably, you probably, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but like you probably said something like, oh, this is a better house. <laughs> I definitely didn't say that. Dave, <laughs> my, my buddy Dave uh, filled in uh, your very, very uh, large and impressive shoes. Uh, and Dave is a wonderful person and but could not host as well as you i'll just say that dave's not dave's not a podcast host he did a very good job and and he was great love you dave I'm not trying to shit on you but you are a professional podcast host it is a different vibe for sure um now he's gonna think i'm talking shit about him he did a very good job i want to say i'm just picking on my buddy well, if we are talking shit who knows I'll he does listen to the show so <laughs> Sorry. Uh, oh man he's a big fan of slavily trolls too that's why he wanted to be know, on yeah. you gotta be careful he follows man. Us on Twitter, i know but he doesn't back us on patreon we found out last week so <gasps> that's on him gabe exactly next i'm gonna call up russ or, or dm rick like they'll come they'll fucking they'll host they back us they pay for this shit <laughs> Um, uh, like, I went right to fighting, not to like. 
<laughs> oh, no, I don't want to fight listen, anybody. Uh, listen, I'm spicy today. <laughs> you are. You can already tell. So let's get into some more entertainment stuff that you can get spicy about. So this is our Bardic Inspiration. This is our D&D entertainment uh, segment where we talk about like media and different things like that. First up, there's an Honor Among Thieves prequel comic coming out. I know you don't read a lot of comics, but you do love D&D and fantasy and you're excited about the movie. Are you going to check out the prequel comic? Yeah, probably. I'm. I might for sure. Yeah. I might for sure. I might for sure. (laughs) Wow. You can count on me maybe doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's too good. That's too good. Uh, So it's coming out from IDW. IDW does some of the best licensed publishing. You think about their Transformers, their Ghostbusters, obviously their TMNT runs. They get really good people who love the IP to write and draw these things. So I love IDW comics and I love specifically their licensed comics that come out of there. So that had me really excited. I'm like, oh, because like sometimes these companies will put it out themselves or it'll be like a Marvel cash grab. I think of like the, all the NFL comics I read in the fucking 90s that Marvel put out. Um, but Whoa, IDW seriously? does it right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they're canon too. That's I mean, that's why I read oh. them whoa <laughs> oh i should fill you in no so there's idea. some serious serious dumb nfl like oh. tie-ins that are like oh, canonical yeah. superheroes next to spider-man yeah. <laughs> uh they teamed up with captain america go long hail mary oh. fast like oh god oh. <laughs> it's like so 90s and schlocky that it's kind of fun I was gonna say, but... this is this is the era of the toon squad i mean listen listen <laughs> hey listen basic. you do not put the like the end zone <laughs> in the same sentence as the monster squad okay like those guys are legends i still watch space jam once a week okay i mean who doesn't i'll tell you who lissa <laughs> It is probably the most American movie you can put on TV, right? Space Jam, is there anything more American? I don't think so. No. Uh, Michael Jordan and the June Squad? I don't think so. In the 90s, too. Like, uh, man. Anyways, anyways, so um, I don't want to get too far into it. I want to find the artist and the writer. Um, The Feast of the Moon was written by Jeremy Lambert and Ellen Booner. With the artwork being created by Eduardo uh, Ferragato and Guillermo Sana. Uh, so, awesome people there. I'm, I'm see if I can pull up some recommendations for those people. But it speaks for themselves if you check out the artwork. And uh, it's a prequel comic, right? Like, if you're excited about the movie, go check this out. IDW does not publish bad comics, in my opinion. Um, they publish some fucking weird ones. Um, like they also do like My Little Pony. If you were curious, if like the My Little Pony comics, if you like the My Little Pony show, it's great. My daughter has read all of them. Um, but like they have like the My Little Pony crossover Transformers or Transformers uh, crossover with the Ghostbusters, and they're all good. Is the thing. So um, yeah, go check that out. Check out this prequel comic. Next up. Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves news is that it's delayed. So if you're excited about uh, the movie, go pick up the comic. It'll hold you over. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's delayed. Um, this isn't going to be as big of a delay as the first time around. If you don't know, it was supposed to come out in 2021, and it was delayed to 2023. Um, so that was a big delay. This time, it's been delayed about a month. It's going to come out in March instead of April. So, mm-hmm. no, March is... <laughs> 
<laughs> it was gonna let you figure that one out. <laughs> uh, it's fine. It's fine. It's gonna come out in March, uh, 2023. So there's there's that. Um, I couldn't find like a, a big reason for it, but it seems more like scheduling. Like it doesn't want to come out at the yeah. same time as some of these other movies. It's not like a big thing of like, oh, the movie's bad. They're doing reshoots or anything crazy like that. It's just a simple simple pushback. Um, trying to see if I found any reasons for it. I got an article up here from Screen Rant and from Deadline. But just that's moving the release date um, for a few other things. Uh, moving like uh, away from Scream 6 um, and a couple other, like, just little scheduling beats. Like, there's a couple other movies coming around it. So not a big deal. But it's still sad. we got to wait a whole month longer before we get to see it. Uh, does this do anything for your excitement, Shar? Are you still into it? Are you still there day one? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm still gonna see it. Like if that that just because it's getting pushed back doesn't mean I'm not gonna see it. I'm just curious, like you are. I'm just curious as to why they did it. Mm -hmm. Like maybe it's just the panorama still affecting Hollywood, and some people are still working from home, and maybe like like on the editing table, it's just taking a lot longer to produce. Like that stuff, I completely understand. Like don't rush your workers into working a bunch of hours just to finish a movie by a deadline if you're going to have a crap product so it's like a video game if it's i'd rather have a delayed video game and it be a great video game than have a really crappy rushed video game so if it's for those reasons like i completely understand i don't know the logistics well that like, was oh we need to move around the premiere date because this movie comes out at this time that's exactly like, what this delay is for yeah the first time was because uh of the pandemic and and producing a very very like large cg action movie this time mm -hmm. it's it's purely they've they've shuffled around a bunch of stuff they push back scream six they're pushing back this one if you don't know paramount is the company behind this and they have a couple mm -hmm. of different um movies coming around right around that same time in march so it just seems like slight delay to, to mix up uh when movies are coming around yeah that part i don't get i mean i get it but like i don't get it <laughs> <laughs> i see what you're saying okay i get why you're doing it but also like just give it to us like watch it regardless of what you where when you release it <laughs> it's like the way that i always explain it on on our other shows and stuff is that uh they're, it's like the Titanic, right? Like, if they don't want it to hit an iceberg, they got to start turning way earlier. And so, like, there'll be these weird shifts in the company. Like, well, why are they changing that date? Like, that doesn't do anything for, for that movie. But it might do a lot for Scream 6 to push that back. Yeah. So if they got to push that back, they got to push back their other big release. Um, plus, that's right around quarterly earnings. So, mm. um, it's, 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 yeah. It's serious business, yeah. <laughs> this is what you did that one episode we were talking about the new, like, president and CEO stuff. And you guys were like, yes, we're going to let Terry talk about business stuff for 20 minutes. Let him get, let him get it out of his <laughs> system. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just gonna imagine. Imagine my wife when I talk about talk about this shit. The one thing she she tunes in on is when we talk about our stocks and investments. She pays a lot of attention to that mm -hmm. because she cares about you know our money, you know our financial situation. Right. But when I get yeah, into she... like my interest into just like business and like the entertainment industry in general, she's like, I don't, I don't give a fuck about what producer was on this one and now they're on this one. I don't. What does that do no, for I me? Don't. What does that What does that change? I find it kind of interesting for because I'm a big lover of like context and figuring out mm -hmm. why things happen right. and like why things are the way that they are. But then when you start talking about strategies, I'm like, mm. <laughs> I'm out. That's the context, okay? <laughs> <laughs> 
what I've always loved about following the business side of my of like the nerdier genre companies like like you know Hasbro, Wizards of the Coast, stuff like that is it gives you so much more insight into what products mm-hmm. will release. So like if you think about like the Galaxy Nerd brand of it all, when we um, pontificate about Disney, right? We're like, oh, what's the, what's the next movie Marvel's gonna look at? Well, you can look at it like from a story standpoint, right? They're setting up Secret Wars. I think X Men are gonna show up, but what you're really going to learn about it, like how you actually get behind the scenes is you look into the business stuff. Well, they signed this contract with this actor and this producer, and they've said that they love this movie. That's going to give you a way more accurate answer than, well, actually in the nineties, they produced this secret wars tie in. Um, and they called it this and it didn't do very well. Like, yeah, sure. They don't give a fuck unless it produces dollars and cents. And that's what the business side does. So if you want to learn why the fuck honor among thieves is getting delayed, you look into the business side of it rather than uh what's in tasha's tasha's uh new book or fizz bands or whatever <laughs> just to give context Uh-oh. into my brain that's why i look into that stuff it's not necessarily that i love business stuff i do but it's also because it gives me the answers that i'm looking for finally no know. more of that yeah exactly we gotta keep going jesus um finally this is our eye of the beholder section this is what well, i'm gonna rename this week though to gmt um we're gonna talk about all of the game master dungeon master stuff because this is not here to stop us she's the real issue she's the real person holding us down she's the one holding us down. her and all of her brexit energy okay um <laughs> you want to really watch people glaze over like you think about talking uh like business stuff for hollywood um boris people start explaining brexit to people and there's fucking gloss over you're like i don't care what conservative is in the uk and i'm like well you should I was gonna say it's specifically explaining brexit to people in the states not in england in england people love to bitch about brexit because obviously it's affecting them but here <laughs> nobody really cares i care because i lived there and i saw like people hating it and it was great and awful my my favorite thing uh about like my friend group specifically is like when i hop on to do a podcast with like you or chelsea plug right in the fields it's coming back watch it out for it in december <laughs> um is we can hop on and we can bullshit about dungeons and dragons and wizards of the coast and get into stuff about marvel movies coming out but then we can also get into these like huge discoveries about like geopolitical ties and what that means because <laughs> like it's just nice it's just nice that we have like there's there's levels okay people we're not just the <laughs> we people got layers. we got layers okay we're like onions okay we're like we're... onions <laughs> i'm a parfait um <laughs> So this week on Eye of the Beholder slash GMT, we're talking about how you start a new campaign. This came up because uh, we're hitting like a resting point in one of our longer running campaigns. We've been playing this campaign for about a year now. We hit about the halfway point. We're taking a break because we're going to switch it to around a monthly game because one of our players is moving. So I'm tasked as the forever GM of this group to find us something new to play on Fridays. Um, my first answer was to play an interim shorter game, about five or six sessions. We're going to do that in the Things for the Flood system. But in general, when you reach that end of a campaign as a GM yourself, what do you do? How do you go, hey, what are we doing next? How do you approach that process? What? How do you kickstart it? What do you do when one campaign's over and it's time to start a new one? I take a month or two off <laughs> and recharge <laughs> because I actually, I run a weekly game and I've run a weekly game, oh my gosh, three, four years now, mm-hmm. four years. And it's been 
pretty consistently weekly. Like there has been, we've been very lucky. I've been very lucky as a player and a GM in two campaigns that I'm in that I can say we've played weekly more often than we have not played weekly. So when you play weekly, it is or can be a little bit taxing (laughs) when you're a GM. And when you're like me, who is an idiot, and homebrews everything because that was just my first instinct it was just to homebrew something like no there are modules no i'm not gonna i'll use the system <laughs> but i want to make up my own stuff um which it, it was a choice but it's a choice that I stuck <laughs> to. and so when i finished my first campaign it was like two and a half years almost three years that we were playing this one campaign and i was really burnt out i didn't have really many other ideas It was like in the middle of the panini and I'm just like, listen, I think we need to end this campaign because I don't have the juice anymore for this one because we've been playing for so long and I just ran out of ideas for the characters and for the other people. And the players were very understanding. They're like, we get it. And then I asked them, what are your goals for the end of the campaign, et cetera. We wrapped it up in this big epic dragon battle because dungeon dragons you gotta fight some dragons we hadn't really fought a lot of dragons so i'm like i'm gonna end the campaign with a dragon <laughs> and then when we did that i took a month off or a little over a month um just to like recharge because i've been running a weekly game for two and a half almost three years and then i came up with a new campaign that was completely homebrewed in a completely homebrewed world because again i'm an idiot and i make up everything when I don't need to work that hard, but I choose to because it's just the type of person that I am, apparently. <laughs> so that's what happens. or the, That's what happened in my experience as a GM is I ended one campaign because I was just really burnt out and out of ideas and didn't have the juice anymore, took a break, and then told my players we're going to start a new game and then presented that game to them in a very extra way, which I could get into. But that's kind of like my process of just hey setting player expectation we're going to play again i just need some time off <laughs> it was how i <laughs> is how i pitched it to them so how much gm fiat do you do you i guess like do you enforce in that process do you go okay this is the new game guys roll up characters do you do you survey them and go what type of game do you want to play or what kind mm-hmm. of setting are you looking for or do you mm-hmm. because you're the gm and like you're putting in a lot of that work up front it, do they kind of give you um, that that like freeway there to kind of pick a lane? So before I just picked the setting because we played in Taldore, which was Matt Mercer's world, and then we homebrewed a plot from that um, and characters, and we just kind of squished them all together and hoped it worked, and it did. Um, this time around, I had a couple of ideas for a new setting because I knew I wanted to do my own setting this time um and i had a really interesting idea that i was really excited about um based on lissa and i going crazy researching drow (laughs) for slovenly trolls and i just really 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 wanted to do a drow setting like super bad i really wanted to play with the spider queen and elastri and uh, veyron and a bunch of the drow gods and I came up with this pitch of how about, how would you guys like to play Mistborn, but D&D, basically? Like, what happens if the villains won kind mm-hmm. of vibes? 
and I pitched that to them. They really liked that idea. And so I built off of that. And I'm just like, this is going to be a darker campaign, but not super dark because you, it's D&D. You got to have fun with it. Like, there's some, there's some fun things you can do when it's a darker setting. And so I made it more um, aligned with what I knew their interest would be. So I took all of their interests into account for, like, I knew my players were playing for two and a half years. So I took in the tone. I took in um, what, what activities I knew that they liked and started building the world from there. So it was – they were really – they let me have a lot of control over, you know, the world that I wanted to build. And I have like this overarching plot in mind that the players don't know is going on in the background, but everything else, they are in charge of the ship and they know that they're in charge of the ship so they can crash it. <laughs> they can steer it. They could do whatever they want with it. And I, you know, gave them the rundown of the world via PowerPoint presentation <laughs> for Chess and Zero and then they kind of built characters and backstories that way. I mean, that's all really interesting. Um, I, I've created a few, like, homebrew settings for games in the past. And one thing that I always struggled with is how much information do I give them up front? Because yeah. I want their characters to feel like they exist in this world, right? They're, they're not mm – -hmm. it's not an isekai. They're not, like, dropped down first episode and they came from Manhattan, right? Um, although yeah. I guess somebody did play a character like that once, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, and I've, I've played a few characters like that. That can always be fun, but I want them to feel like they're part of that world. So I want to give them mm -hmm. information, but I want them to be able to discover new mysteries too. Um, mm -hmm. so usually what happens, I have to drop this very complicated, like you said, PowerPoint basically that says, yep. here's, here's what you know from being from here. And here's a completely different document for another player who's from a different part of the world. Here's what yep. you know. And some of that, yep. that information is contradictory because yep. people have contradictory, you know, histories, right? So mm -hmm. is, is that the best way to go about it? What would you recommend for... Yeah for players at home where it's like okay i'm making a whole new world i want you to get it mm -hmm. but i also want you to be able to find new stuff and learn about it as we play yeah. what do you do um so this is the first time i ever had to do this was for my new campaign so i struggle with that a lot i'm just like i know i know all the secrets of this universe right mm -hmm. like i have secrets in this world that i i'm doing something i'm trying to keep a very um writerly head about it and that yeah there are secrets going on in this world but i'm not purposely trying to keep any of them from you you can discover them and i'll hint at them throughout the entire campaign and if you latch on to it you latch on to it i'm not trying to keep anything from you because i hate i hate when people do that like i have the secret like in a book like you can tell sometimes when a writer like especially when you get to like a plot twist in the end they're like but you didn't hint at it at all before you just kind of cheaply did this plot twist at the end just to like you know elicit some sort of reaction when there was no sort of build up to it that's like one of my biggest pet twist, peeves it is one of my biggest pet peeves one of the, be the best plot twists you don't have to discover it when it's happening but i think the best plot twists happen in any narrative whether it's tv or books or whatever when you hint at it and you're not necessarily trying to keep it a secret it's not like in plain sight but it's also you you could there's little sprinklings of it so i'm doing sprinklings of like higher bigger up secrets of this world because not everything is as it seems the best way i could always recommend and it's always so surprising when you get people in the 21st century like ar like artists and writers that don't that don't know how to do it without just lying to the audience um yeah, when you have like sir arthur conan doyle and agatha christie doing it forever 
Or it's like, no, here are mm-hmm. all the clues. You can put them together and solve the mystery right before Sherlock does if you want to. And, in fact, exactly. that's when they plan on having you to do it. You know, like, Hercule Poirot has the same evidence that you have. That's that's the mm-hmm. fun of those characters. And that's the fun of those stories, specifically. Um, so, like, when those... Uh, I always think of the first Jim Butcher novel. Um, he got a lot better as, as I read those. Uh, but the... Um, what's the name yeah. of the, the Dresden Files? Dresden Files, He did yeah. that a lot in those earlier novels, which was, here's all these really cool clues, but those aren't the important one. The important one is the one that Harry has that no one told you about. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, that always really frustrated me reading those. I was like, this is a yeah. perfect novel, but then you had to lie to me to get your twist across. Um, yeah, you're and- keeping a secret, and we've literally been in the narrator's head this whole time, and we've never even mm-hmm. gotten a hint. Mm-hmm. that secret yeah exactly i hate i i 100 i think i think it can work if you're not in like you said if you're not in the narrator said this isn't a first person point of view of the person who knows the secret like it makes sense right. but when exactly. you are like then you you can't hold the secret like that but that's a good point right is like i don't i don't do that either this was the first the, the campaign that you just played in this was my first campaign where um i kind of directed you like this is the story i'm kind of telling that wasn't a one shot it was still a campaign um in my in my one shots i usually have like a b and c this is the narrative and the players play through it but when i do yeah. my campaigns it's usually a sandbox i've created a world or i've pulled up a world mm-hmm. and i put stuff in it and you go and look at it i keep very very methodical excel spreadsheet notes of where the world is going <laughs> yep. what happens when people are doing stuff so you can kind of go play in it like it's a bethesda game that's what i prefer yeah. to do um so because of that i have to take very meticulous notes on this is what this player knows but this player doesn't know i don't yeah. do anything with that other than put them there let you guys do your thing um but i know that that can be really difficult for for new gms or even like experienced ones like i don't sleep so i do things like that when i'm (laughs) when i'm done writing like like my day job when i'm done writing comic Mm -hmm. books i open up my other excel spreadsheet and i start writing you know game stuff um i don't i don't see that as being viable for a lot of other people playing so how do you what would you recommend to people who are starting a new campaign and they want to do a homebrew setting um, the first thing that always helps me, and I actually, weirdly, and I don't know why it took me so long to do, to do this, I've been writing fantasy stuff since basically undergrad, even a little bit before that, like my own, like my own actual fantasy stuff, make a map. That's mm-hmm. the first thing I do now. Make a map of your world. There are so many great map makers online just for like the outline. And I don't actually use the map maker for everything because I have some Photoshop skills so I could personalize a lot more. So I take like a map maker from one of these um, map making sites for the outline and then I fill it all in with the major cities and from there you could be like okay well major cities need to be by a water source so here put it here and here's a water source and this is the name for this and it just kind of for me as a visual person it helps me get a good feeling of how the world looks and works. And then from there, like, okay, I have this many major cities. That means I need this many, like, higher-ups in this city. And um, just knowing who's in charge of either the whole, like, setting or just a city, wherever you're setting your campaign. I always like starting my players off in a big city and keeping them there as long as possible so I can flush out that city, make it better, and then the players can kind of get... Uh, lay of the land a lot easier through this one city and then when they branch off 
I start building even more of the world as they explore it because Mm -hmm. with world building, while I love it, it can be very overwhelming. So just having a sketch of the world, having a map, knowing where the cities are, maybe knowing where like the major um, populations are and what the major like rulers are and that, and maybe factions specifically. Um, Like if you're playing D and D or any um, fantasy stuff you usually have like a fighting guild or a thieves guild or a mages guild and there's no there's nothing wrong with just taking those and just calling them that and like building a structure around it and then as your players move around just start flushing out city by city area by area as they go so that it's not as overwhelming that's been working very well for me my players just got out of their first major city which was a very like assassin's creed type city where assassins basically ran the city um i didn't see that one coming i know right (laughs) (laughs) who would have thought i even named them i even named the assassins guild the creed because i couldn't think of anything else and that's okay you don't have to be original with your names if it gets the point across it gets the point across and now they're um traveling to this city of illithids of mind flayers so I am flushing that out because a lot of the major um, races in this world are from the Underdark. So you would <coughs> have Drow and you would have Mind Flayers and Duragar and stuff instead of your run-of-the-mill like humans or tieflings or what have you. So I'm building it as they go. I mean, that's that's really good advice and because I, I do the same thing. Build a map first, fill it in with those dots. Like, again, that's kind of like when you first get a map, again, in like a Bethesda game or something, and you open it up yeah. and you see what flags pop up. Do the same thing. Build your map, and then you can kind of go, well, this city's here. And then when you get a better mm-hmm. idea for that city, you can go in, keep an Excel document, start filling in little bits mm-hmm. and pieces. And also your players if they have if they're not from a major city ask them where they're from and where that city is yep. and have them help you fill out the map like give them your sketch that you have like listen this is what i have these are the major cities this is where you could be from but you could also make up an entire town and also you can make them do some of the work oh all the time um, by saying what's the vibe like how big is the city do you have any connections there do you know the rulers like and just have them give you basically half of the work and then you only have to do half of the other work it's and, lovely and like uh the thing that i've always liked like uh when i do that is i get way cool not just like cooler ideas but way more diverse ideas because yeah. even if it's something like you would go well that's not the best idea it being so different than what you would have come up with will make your world feel more realized and more unique yeah. and then you can still put it in a sp- certain spot on the map but they gave you all the stuff you needed to know to build out and then they feel ownership over that place and they'll feel really mm-hmm. special when you visit there and they're gonna they're gonna really dig that but i same yeah. advice basically nothing else to add there except for um i would recommend uh campaign cartographer if you're not great with photoshop campaign cartographer has tons of really good tools it's a it's an app that you can get for for windows or mac or whatever and it's a map making uh you know program but it's got lots of that built-in stuff so if you're not great at drawing yourself you can use those tools um and then incarnate is an even easier to use tool Mm -hmm. it's done in a web page um there's lots of different filters you can do a 3d map a 2d map make it look old school um make it look like it's actually like a road topography map there's lots of different options Mm -hmm. there both are very cheap i think you can pick up all of campaign cartographer like 30 dollars, and incarnate is like two dollars a month uh so both very reasonable uh both doable and i think both have free trials as well so if you want to give it a shot 
Um, I think even you can do like an exportable PDF of your map. They just might have like a watermark or something. But if you're doing a homebrew campaign, that doesn't really hurt anything. Um, and also, you can just draw things out too. Like if yeah. you're an artist, you can draw things out. And even if you suck, like I suck. And sometimes I just draw maps. I draw symbols a lot too because I've been flushing out a lot of my guilds recently. And I will literally use Google Docs because now kind of hearkening back to that first question you asked of like how do you know what to tell your players and what not to i have a whole google doc like i have a whole google doc folder which is like information i know and then i have a pc folder and a bunch of subfolders that the pcs have access to that has every document that i can give them and everything that they know about stuff is in their google doc folder so that i know what they know i know what documents they have and i know their backstories and stuff and it's just all in one place. You made me think of campaign. Go ahead. Uh, you made me think of Joey uh, from Friends. Like, do they know you know Joey? Yeah, they know I know. They don't know that we know that they know. No, you know. No, they know. No, I honestly and don't. I, I also ha- got really lucky in that three of my my three players came from such different walks of life in their character backstories that they do know completely different things. And I purposely give them information that contradicts each other and it frustrates them, which I love because it's not a bad frustration. Like, no, but this, this and this, this is how the world works. Like, no, no, this is how the world works. And I'm just like, excellent. And it's so perfect. And it builds, exactly. (laughs) It builds great discourse right around the table. My rule that I do, because I do this exact same thing, but my rule is what would a sixth grader know? Like with a sixth grade education, because that's safe enough to go okay even if they're they're poorly educated they don't have a good school system as an adult you know what a sixth grader would know basically in any given Mm -hmm. uh place so that and that's sometimes where people's education stops because they don't look into geopolitical discourse they don't care Mm -hmm. about like infrastructure right like but they know what a sixth grader would know because that's what a you know a general person would know even a surf so no matter what setting you're in so go by what a sixth grader would know you can't fail and then if you got a person who's like oh i'm super well educated i went to college for 40 years and i'm a wizard okay well then you would know what they would know in this country i I literally have a player that's that's and that's a phd candidate in the world she was just like i have this idea for a character it's great i'll just say what it is because it's a great character concept so she wanted to be a character who was a PhD candidate and her advisor. She wanted to be a cleric, but she also wanted to be a PhD candidate. And she wanted her advisor to be a god. And that's (laughs) how she got her powers, was from a PhD advisor who they're like the reason they got like tenure was because they ascended to godhood. (laughs) And I'm like, that is so cool. (laughs) I loved that. And so I didn't even I, – I knew that there was going to be, like, a magic, like, intelligent-based, like, school somewhere. But because I had a player who really wanted to do that, I'm like, here, tell me what your academy is like. Tell me what your program – then this player, bless her heart, she gave me, like, a rundown of the classes that she took. She gave me her thesis proposal. She went all out, and it was so heartwarming to see, and also great because I didn't have to do any of that again. The less amount of work you have to do world building, the better, and the more invested your players are going to be. It's great advice. So this is the second campaign you've run, right? 
Yeah, this is the second one. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, so you haven't started as quite as many. Uh, I know you haven't run too many one shots or anything like that. Um, do you have any advice for for players who need to? I guess not necessarily convince as much as pitch a game to their players. Like, okay, this one's done. Because um, that's something that I'm I'm interested in right now is because this campaign's wrapping up and part of it was some players wanted to keep playing. Some of the players wanted to hold out until we could get together with the other player who moved. Um, we all want to play different things now that we're like trying to pick a new game. So what's your advice on pitching that idea to the table? Yours was really easy, but still any general advice? I've only run long campaigns is the thing. Mm-hmm. So, cause I'm, I'm a long form person. Still like, even only... like pitching a new long form campaign, because not everybody might be interested in the exact same idea. Right. That's true. Um, if you have a, if you really want to run like a specific, um, like module for any game, just say, Hey, I want to run this. Would you be interested in this? And then having an elevator pitch. Um, if you're trying to court a specific group of people, you got to know what they're into first and then um, play their heartstrings. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> that's some of the difficulty I run into because I like playing a little bit of everything. But I think yeah. it's safe to say like our our Friday gaming group, um, before you came along, we mostly played like one or two shots, uh, a couple that went a little bit longer, but it was like our Friday night game group. So like this month we're doing Cyberpunk, we're doing five sessions, and then this month we're going to do a D&D one shot and a bespoke like homebrew campaign type thing, but it's only going to be you know one session maybe two and we would rotate that out in gms and we did that for about a year in the pandemic and then when we were coming out of it and we were trying to keep playing that's when you came along we said hey let's actually do a campaign um but now that that one is kind of wrapping up we're gonna put it as our like our once a month type game we got to figure out what we're gonna play on fridays and part of that is going okay most of the table wants to play fantasy stuff so i can wipe out Mm -hmm. trying to pitch cyberpunk or or Power Rangers or something like that. So it's like fantasy. But there's a lot of fantasy games out there. Yeah. Um, so part of what I've had to do, and I've been emailing you and other people, you're like, what are you interested in? Like, do we want to do more stuff in Forgotten Realms? I've had to basically survey the entire group. And that's what I would recommend because even yeah. though most people will go, oh, I'm okay with anything. One player will go, not fucking this. And then you, <laughs> then you can slowly start checking things off the boxes. I look at it like I'm trying to order pizza. It's like everyone will be like, oh, just order pizza. It's whatever. But somebody will go, if you put mushrooms on that, I will punch you in the fucking face. <laughs> and so, like, that's how you start checking things off the boxes. Okay, no mushrooms. And that's a good start. And Chardet was like, listen, I want to play fucking fantasy on Fridays. So it's perfect. I'm like, okay, <laughs> make sure it's fantasy. Um... Um, yes, I, also, I was that angry about it. Too. Exactly. Also, her character starts with uh, STIs and and they're blind. So, um, <laughs> and they have a they have a <laughs> they are perpetually being struck by lightning. It's so weird. Oh, uh, yeah, that's weird. That <laughs> they're like a or something. <laughs> but it, like that, that's what I would recommend. Is just survey your players. Somebody will eventually tell you what they actually want to play. Um, well, my well, my problem is I just I don't play a lot of stuff other than D and D, so I don't really know what's out there a mm-hmm. lot of the time. When people want to like dip into other systems, I'm like I've never played this, and 
I'm such an and I hate I hate this but I'm such an anxious person I'm like well I'm gonna be the only one who doesn't know how to play and I'm gonna bring the game down and like I'm gonna slow things down because I don't know how to play and I'm gonna feel bad <laughs> like Aww, I get Char. all my head about you already bring it down no matter what I know <laughs> my presence is just a perpetual rain cloud hovering over the trees you can't make it worse <laughs> than you already do what are you worried Thank about you. <laughs> so welcome I brought sex to your table and I will also bring depression <laughs> <laughs> the depression's always been there the calls coming from inside the house <laughs> the exactly exactly it's just a person i know who is just as anxious at me i'm just more willing to be anxious that's all <laughs> that's the only difference i just i've just been doing it that's longer. my secret i'm always anxious <laughs> exactly um uh but i am interested in that uh we're about out of time otherwise i'd ask you more questions like how do you get them to play a different game well what, like you as an anxious player what would you try uh kind mm -hmm. of thing but we can save that for our next big gm centric episode maybe the next time lissa's gone and away and fighting crime on another planet yeah that's true we gotta wait for her to give us the <laughs> the go ahead um but uh exactly if, but if you like this and you want to see other stuff on this ship you can head on over to campykillcreations.com we have other podcasts over there from me from char from other people as well as comic books from me you can check on our merch store at t public uh slash user slash campykillcreations we got mugs we got shirts we got backpacks and all sorts of shit with our logos on it you can go over there and buy it if you want to back us more directly you can head over to patreon.com slash can't be killed creations where you get this podcast early sometimes you get bonus content from this podcast other podcasts like slovenly trolls you get shars lori rights uh next month do we want to drop what you're doing for sure uh, I haven't announced on the Patreon yet. So okay, probably. so we're going to hold off. But <laughs> when this, month, <laughs> this month you did um, – what did we do this month? Banshees. Banshees was November? Okay. I couldn't remember if that was November. No, it was October. November October. is the thing that we're announcing. Yes. I know I know what day it is. <laughs> don't, sure. don't you ask me, okay? Um, yeah. But lots of cool lore rewrites that Char does. I illustrate, and Lissa does all of their awesome layouts to make it all look fancy. So there's lots of cool stuff like that over there. Um, and we announced our um, – uh, our D&D book club podcast for Patreon only books and bitches. So if you want to back us over there, I believe at the $3 tier, you can get access to that. We do it every month. Our inaugural episode is going to be on Ben Riggs slaying the dragon, the untold history of TSR. Um, <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a book. It is like 300 pages. So if you start now, you'll be able to hear that like the beginning of December. So Go check that out if you like us. You know, it helps the keep the lights on, keeps the mics rolling. If you want to contact us, you can contact us at campykillcreations at gmail.com. For this podcast, you can find us on Twitter at Cave Trolls Pod. Um, Char, where can the people online find you? I am the best half, the only half of the Slovenly Trolls podcast where you talk about D&D and history and lore and uh, feminism and equality <laughs> we do that every month and, and ladies then, they talk and about ladies, ladies and and dragon titties and dragon titties <laughs> that's what i was gonna get to exactly i wanted you to say it first um Body also play. man it's just one of the like why 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 listen to our episode and you'll find out why oh, God. <laughs> no you explain but like it still doesn't answer like why people wanted it you know like, <laughs> 
<laughs> not, I'm not here to own. king shame. Not here to king we shame. We have our own. We have our own theories as to why that you came here on <laughs> Slovenly Trolls After Dark. They're really. Uh, they're really Patreon good. Patreon exclusive. They're really and good I theories. Also, I also run uh, the Slovenly Trolls Twitter while you know Twitter still is somewhat above water at Slovenly Trolls. <laughs> give it a minute. Give it a minute. It'll come around to give being completely done. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but we're still there, there for now. Quickly. Yeah. Um, I'm at Resident Stevel on Twitter. That's about the only place you can find me other than on the podcast. We're bringing back Right in the Feels in December, so look out for that. You can hear me talk about all sorts of entertainment news and media and shit that was old that's new again that'll make you cry because you're like, I remember CD players, and we're like, us too. <laughs> um, and then you look and you have gray in your hair, and that's what that podcast is. So enjoy that. And we'll talk about the mole eventually, too. We will talk about the mole eventually. I'm very excited yeah. to do that. Um, but up until then, we have been the Cave Trolls, and we're out. And that. Okay, now comes that special time of the podcast where we get to thank our Patreon producers. You keep the lights on, you keep the mics rolling, and really you make it possible to do all of this. We want to give a special shout-out. Thank you to the Lorax, who gets two special shout-outs, because I also thank you for speaking for the trees. We also have Jeremy Raymond. Raymond, thank you. Trellbot, the Highlander, thank you so much for being our first one and only, and then now in a group of four, but still thank you for being a Patreon producer. And finally, Kim Winson, thank you so much for being our Patreon producers. We appreciate you, and we owe everything we do to people like you. Um, I was trying to sound like the PBS thing, you know, paid for by viewers like you. I don't think I can quite pull it off. I haven't been watching enough Sesame Street lately, so that's what I'm going to go work on now. Mm -hmm.